Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Mormon village was originally conceived as a place removed from the rest of the world, a place where the saints could live and raise their children while building a strong faith-based identity. Although common in Europe, the pattern that Mormons used of residential villages with outlying farms was unusual in the American West. We're going to take a look at the Mormon village today with the author of Saints Observe, Studies of the Mormon Village Life, and also editor of Four Classic Mormon Village Studies. That's uh, Howard Barr, who is professor of sociology at Brigham Young University. This, of course, affects us today. We are, many of us, living in uh, what has become of these Mormon villages, including Salt Lake City, the first Mormon village. And we'll consider the question, when does a village stop becoming a village? Other interesting questions to be considered uh, at one point. Uh, Mormon villages became the subject of studies by uh, reflecting governmental concern about the marginality, inefficiency, isolation, lack of opportunity, even degeneracy of American rural life. Some of those concerns remain today. And we'll update this looking at perhaps your Mormon village. Maybe you live in Escalante, Gunlock, Virgin, Ephraim, or Salt Lake City. I'd love to get your perspective as well. We welcome in uh, Howard Barr. Uh, Welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be here and looking forward to our discussion. I'd like to start uh, by bringing things forward. Of course, we'll go back to the beginning and uh, take a look at uh, a very interesting uh, development of uh, the Mormon village and, interestingly, uh, views from the outside. And you uh, you have uh, some distinguished visitors uh, coming to uh, to Utah and, and uh, living among the, the saints for a while and, and reporting their observations. And then it becomes a codified uh, science. Uh, also, very interestingly, one of uh, the people in your book uh, says that the Mormon villages were the backbone of the most widely applied and formally practiced system of squatters' rights ever devised in America. And, we, of course, we know that's true, but it kind of, when you phrase it that way, it, it puts it in bold relief. Uh, there was a real concern on the part of Brigham Young and other leaders to, uh, to, to, to put their imprint and, uh, and to mark their territory. I'd like to start um, with the afterword to, to the book you edited, Four Classic Mormon Village Studies, and bring this forward, and specifically Gunlock. And I wonder if you could tell us uh, about Edward Banfield. He went to Gunlock, I think, uh, what, in the 1950s? Yes, about 1950, he spent six months there. And he was, um, it's interesting, that this, this theme runs all the way throughout. Um, views from the outside, and outsiders have different concerns than the people who are living in the Mormon villages. Um, and so he's an examination, you write in the uh, afterward, of incompatibility of two worldviews, modernist pragmatism, 1950s rural development programs, versus traditionalism of Mormon uh, villagers. I wonder if you could... Uh, outline some of the themes there, that contrasting those two. Oh, yes. Uh, in, in fact, I'm glad you started with Banfield. He, um, uh, to my mind, is the uh, most, uh, how shall I say, it's not that he's the most brilliant necessarily, but, but his piece, his village study, to my mind, is uh, the most theoretical, the, the most... Um, uh, oriented to, to, to problem-solving rather than uh, description. Uh, it's the most uh, sociologically uh, distinguished, in my view. Uh, he had uh, several years' experience, not only as an academic, but uh, with uh, federal programs uh, during the Depression. And his view of Banfield is, 
Now, why don't these people realize that uh, by modern management and conservation and, and uh, you know, technical business techniques, they can uh, do better economically than they, than they are? They, they could, uh, I guess, uh, pool their resources as a community rather than individual farmers, for, for instance. That just wasn't a concern with, with, uh, with people of Gunlock. Well, it's interesting because Mormons are viewed as a very communal people, and, and, and the village is a way of, of communal living with respect to social life and religious life and so on. But, but uh, it was more family-oriented than, than oriented uh, as a commune to, to, to combine uh, funds to uh, maximize resources. And so uh, he comes from experience in the... Uh, uh, the, the politics of the 30s, uh, where uh, federal management was uh, uh, in many ways seen as, as a, a savior, and uh, you know, their newly developed fields of soil conservation. Uh, we have uh, economists advising farmers, and you know, the Mormons, uh, they listen to him, but they are uh, committed to their ways and their values, uh, uh, continue to trump uh, those of uh, modernist efficiency. And, and, and in the end, um, uh, it's plain that, that he has come to understand their viewpoint. And in fact, in a later, in a book uh, where he studied the Italian village, uh, he will contrast the Mormon cooperation with the total lack of uh, interfamily cooperation that he sees in Italy, uh, uh, in the Italian village. But um, it, it's two different life ways. One uh, is uh, we are here to maximize family values. The other is we are here to maximize profits. Mm. A- and uh, the Mormons, in the end, choose the family values, even though it ends up not being profitable. And several of the—and the, you went back to Gunlock. You, you sort of updated this in your afterward. Yes. Uh, people you interviewed, several of them said they, they felt that Banfield had, had got, it, got it right. They'd— You've been pretty accurate. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, they said, in fact, that many of the values that he identified in the 50s still prevail in uh, Gunlock of the 21st century. Some of the people connected in their minds Banfield's study with the famous uh, pictorial, the photographic uh, essay for, for Life magazine, Dorothy Lang and, and uh, Ansel Adams' Three Mormon Towns, one of which was Gunlock. Yes, that's correct. Uh, the... Uh, People in Gunlock remembered, uh, yeah, I talked to people who uh, had known uh, Banfield while he was there and spoke highly of him, uh, and in their minds they mixed up the, that Time Magazine uh, article, which was uh, three years later. Uh, I've got a couple of pictures from that, uh, from those photographers uh, in the book, and, uh, and um, you know, they're some of the best photographs in the book. Mm. But... but um, uh, the people in Gunlock uh, initially a little hesitant, according to Banfield, uh, you know, so adopted him as it were. They were pleased to have him there, and they opened up to him. In the end, he did not publish this piece. Um, in fact, one of the justifications for the the four classic Mormon village book is that none of these mid-century uh, qualitative uh, studies that are included in the book uh, were published. Uh, 
either in English, in the case of Han Henri Mandras' study of Virgin, or beyond the dissertation, as in, in the case of uh, two of the others. And uh, Banfield simply uh, retained the manuscript, this marvelous, uh, uh, extensive study of Gunlock. And um, when he retired, uh, he sent it to the library at Brigham Young University. Hmm. Now you say in your afterward that Gunlock, uh, of all of the, the four towns anyway, that uh, four classic Mormon village studies, uh, retains its character as a, a classic Mormon village. Why, uh, why, why do you say that? Uh, it is largely Mormon still. All of the others have had uh, substantial increases in the non-Mormon population. It remains uh, geographically separate. Uh, it has neither expanded uh, the population has has gone up and down, but it's pretty much the same size as it was in the 50s. Uh, under 100? Uh, 130 people. Uh, 130 people, yeah. A, a small, 130. small place, yeah. Um, and uh, t- to live there is, is in some ways to step into the past, in my view. Uh, the remarkable thing is that the things that that the Banfield saw wrong with it in terms of, of uh, catching up with the modern world have many of them been um, uh, improved, uh, ameliorated uh, with modern transportation? Uh, a lot of people in big cities commute as, as far as the gun lockers do. Um, and uh, so it has become, um, it hasn't had to adapt it ha- uh, to uh, increase population as, uh, say, Pomerine in Arizona has. Uh, and yet it has the advantages of uh, living in the suburbs now. You can commute to jobs in St. George. There are good roads, um, except when uh, they get flooded out. The bridge <laughs> gets washed out in a, in a, in a flood. And uh, as we point out in the book, as I point out in the afterward, um, they were recently adopted into Cayenta Ward, or, they, or rather, they adopted Cayenta Ward, is what it amounted to. Uh, the two wards were combined, so people from Cayenta uh, now go to church in Gunlock, and the disadvantages of a very small congregation, which Banfield spends a lot of time describing, uh, no longer apply. One of the central themes uh, uh, in terms of what the Mormons were trying to do with, with the, the small villages, greatly dispersed, withdrawing from the world, um, is neatly summarized by a rancher, I think perhaps you talked to. He says, we're not raising cows here, we're raising kids and grandkids. Of course, many, many towns, not, not just Mormon, could, could say that, but uh, that is a, a central theme that uh, I think you would hear all over the rural West. Uh, you, and definitely in these villages. Uh, people in Rama, New Mexico, uh, express the same sentiment. Uh, people in Virgin talk about, you know, the greatest place on earth and the greatest people on earth, the uh, place to rear your kids. Uh, that That's uh, pretty much a constant from the 50s uh, until now in at least three of these villages. One of the other, uh, I think you're talking maybe about Virgin or one of the other towns in your afterward, uh, somebody said it's it's worth it. You, you live in sort of an isolated place, maybe a more economic difficulties, and certainly kid has to maybe go elsewhere to find a husband or wife, um, but it's worth it, even if you have to commute to, to work. 
Yes, uh, they love the lifestyle. The, uh, people in uh, Virgin, for example, talk about how the neighborhood still helps rear the kids. You know, they know the kids are safe. Uh, neighbors are watching them. Uh, it really is like we imagine it was in, in uh, small towns 50 or 70, 100 years ago. Uh, people in, uh, in Virgin made that same point very strongly. Virgin's um, very much out of the way. Uh, you pass through it on the way to the Zion's Park, but, but it's very much out of the way. But the, the people there love the, um, the rural, semi-rural uh, lifestyle, and, and they still trust their neighbors. Hmm. Uh, Virgin, I, I think until somewhat recently, never embraced the what could have been a, a tourist emphasis, the way some of the other towns, you know, near Zion, uh, did. I wonder yeah, if you well, talked to people they, about they, that. They have recently. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are uh, trailer parks, and and they are catering more to the tourists these days. Uh, in, in fact, Virgin is an example of a community that, uh, uh, for two reasons. One is. Uh, they didn't. They didn't profit from the tourism uh, for a long time. They remained uh, just a, a community on the way to Zion, but they weren't profiting from it. But uh, th- there are some enterprises there now that that are uh, trying to to develop. Uh, and you know, the other side of Virgin is uh, it has been defined as a good place to uh, retire, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, People from elsewhere like the lifestyle there and move in. And then part of the tensions that, that uh, I noticed uh, in Virgin are that uh, people who have moved in uh, bring a different set of values. <laughs> they, 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 uh, they like the rural uh, aspects of the town, but they bring their own values, some of which are contrary to the, uh, the values of the, the, the pioneer stock that, that, that are there. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up, because you see that not only some of the towns that you've talked about here, but many towns, especially in the West, that the complaint by the the locals is people move in, they like the lifestyle, they want to participate in it, and as soon as they get here, they start uh, changing it or want to change it, <laughs> and the locals are, are aggravated by this. Uh, yes, and, and uh, in Virginia, and I suspect elsewhere, um, many of these people who move in are more adept at uh, contemporary politics than the locals. And, and, and so you have the newcomers versus the old-timers, which, which you, as you say, is uh, a common uh, tension in uh, many Western communities. In Virgin, interestingly, you write, um, there, was a can- the, there was an attempt to change out, I think, the mayor, maybe the city council, you know, these two camps. And one of the tactics used was trying to persuade people, don't elect these two gentlemen because they're related to each other. When in yes. reality, they, they were opposed, I think. Um, one of the characteristics uh, more visible in the 1950 study of Virgin than in uh, some of the other villages was uh, a cleavage in the community. Uh, it, goes, it goes far back into the, into the community's history. And, uh, you know, these are relatives or, or you know, uh, cousins or second or third cousins, but, 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 you know, all deriving pretty much from the common ancestors who have uh, uh, been in separate camps for some time. And, and, and uh, uh, the 1950 study by Henri Mandras, uh, one of the uh, contributions of his study 
was to say, look, here's this Mormon community, but if you start looking at who associates with whom, you know, uh, in, in fact, uh, there are uh, two groups, two, two, uh, two cliques, as are, uh, that uh, you know, don't always see eye to eye, and part of uh, village life is, uh, you know, if you invite people from one group, the others aren't going to come to your party, or, or uh, you know, one group is identified as uh, uh, the cafe and and. Uh, Maybe the the less active LDS crowd, the, the other the, the other group is is uh, perhaps more active, and, and and so he commented that 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 everything from church activity to to who you invite to to your parties to uh, people you associate with uh, informally uh, are divided along this this this, this click line. Now in uh, in, uh, in the afterward, I point out that uh, nowadays. That old division, and it was always an intra-family division. You know, I, I, it, it was, uh, you know, we're we're one, but but we we don't always see eye to eye. It has become much less uh, notable in in today's virgin. We're going to take a brief break. Before we go to break, I want to get in this email from Steve in uh, in Beaver Dam, Arizona. Um, he says, I've been through Gunlock many times, but have never, never tarried because aside from its annual rodeo, there doesn't seem much for an outsider to do. Does your guest know how Gunlock got its fabulously Western-sounding name? Oh, that's interesting. I don't. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I just have to plead that uh, that's a historical point that I, I, I do not know. We'll, but he's uh, right about the, uh, there's not much to do there, uh, although there's a lot more than there used to be. Uh, down the road a little ways is the Gunlock Reservoir, and, and uh, that's about lots of fishermen and boaters into the area at least. Uh, but you're right, uh, if, if you boat and fish there, chances are you're going to be staying in St. George. Uh, <laughs> there's no place to stay in Gunlock. <laughs> and uh, the rodeo, I'm not sure when that was developed, but a lot of small towns uh, try to develop at least an annual event to, you know, to bring in, in people to, to, to um, you know, to have, have something to hang their hat on. Right. Yeah, the Gunlock Rodeo has become a really big, uh, well-known uh, affair. Um, it, it, it's a major source of uh, uh, civic income, you know, and, and civic activity, uh, uh, the, the community organizes around it, and it's gotten bigger and better. It gets a, a nice coverage in the press every year. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'm going to ask about uh, views from the outside, and that, that comprises much of, uh, of the book, The Saints Observe, Studies of Mormon Village Life, 1850 to 2005, authored by my guest today, BYU sociology professor Howard Barr. Um, and how those views from the outside have changed. And I'm sure it ranges from viewing Mormons as exotic to, uh, of course, scientific study. And uh, that dovetails to what I imagine, you know, people coming in from the outside, which is an increasing number of people settling in some of these towns and uh, probably scratching their heads in, in, in some cases. And then there are some tensions that to develop as well. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, maybe you have history in uh, some of these Mormon villages. Uh, I would love to hear about the, your history, your family's history, 
uh, how you view or how you think your town is viewed today, or how it should be viewed. The way to reach us is upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or you can call us. Love to get your call at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. More following the break. Have you ever ordered tomato juice on an airplane? And have you ever wondered why? Because although practically everywhere on Earth, orange juice is much more popular than tomato juice, in an airline lounge or on an aircraft, tomato juice outconsumes orange juice. The truth of the matter is that value is pretty subjective. I'm Guy Raz, the hidden hand of branding that's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Monday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Celebrate American Opera with Samuel Barber's Vanessa, a tale of love, despair, and tragedy, July 9th through August 9th in Logan, 90 minutes north of Salt Lake City. Information at utahfestival.org. And Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3 with a changing menu, including an adobo marinated chicken panini with cilantro pesto, daikon sprouts, and provolone cheese. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Mormon village was originally conceived as a place removed from the West, uh, rest of the world, a place where the saints could live and raise their children while building a strong faith-based identity. Although common in Europe, the pattern that Mormons used of residential villages with outlying farms was unusual in the American West. And, of course, many visitors came through. Their observations, uh, some famous, some not, uh, formed the first basis for uh, Saints Observed. This is a new book from BYU sociology professor Howard Barr. Uh, He has another book out as well, companion book for classic Mormon village studies. Uh, Some themes reflected... In these outsiders, uh, uh, concerned by the government about the marginality of uh, American rural life, there are other concerns going forward, and we've uh, discussed some tensions that uh, that uh, arise: uh, longtime locals versus uh, newcomers, and uh, some of those are outlined. Uh, in these books, uh, places like Gunlock and Virgin, places we have talked about. Escalante, the subject of another famous study. Uh, Ephraim, Salt Lake City, was the first Mormon village. Uh, we'd love to hear from you about your Mormon village, and perhaps you have some history there, or or if you're a newcomer, what's what's your observation uh, from today? And do you observe some of these tensions, or or do are people living harmoniously? Uh, some of this history important, I think, to to learn. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, and you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com. One example or a couple of examples, uh, Howard Barr, uh, that you write about in your afterward to four classic Mormon village studies, and you're talking about Virgin, uh, you mention, and I wonder if you could apply maybe some of, you know, some of this the sociological uh, studies uh, to this. You mentioned uh, something Virgin very famous for, I think in 1999 or, or thereabouts, the, uh, the city council passed an ordinance that every household had to have a gun. I think that's still on the books. Um, and then there was another uh, rule, which was which was then uh, rescinded, whereby if you if you wanted to stand up in city council, you had to pay a fee. 
but that one's a little less well known. But uh, this is an example of where you know a small town hits the news. You you get a stereotype of it. People try to view it through that prism. Of course, there's always much more to it. Uh, but I wonder if you talk a bit about those two cases. Well, uh, Bridgen is unusual among these uh, four communities that uh, we talk about in this book in that it has a well-developed government, well-developed civic government. And um, uh, I see uh, both of those instances you mentioned as... uh, you know, not really reflecting um, uh, Virgin as as a, a village community. Uh, the, the informants I talked to sort of chuckled about uh, the uh, the gun law, uh, but it does reflect you know the commitment to uh, the, uh, the Second Amendment and and um, the the, uh, the pioneer culture. Uh, that uh, characterizes many of the villages of the West. Uh, I did not uh, investigate either of those in great detail. I illustrate, uh, I mention them only because that's what most people have heard of Virgin, if they've heard anything, if they haven't driven through. Uh, in, in fact, the uh, the Virgin government uh, uh, was, uh, to my mind, uh, a model of uh, village government uh, in contrast with uh, the almost entire lack of, of a civic organization, of government, uh, apart from uh, uh, church, for example. Uh, in most of these villages, for most of their history, uh, uh, it has been uh, the church uh, leadership uh, that was largely uh, what governed the, the, the community. One of the towns that was studied and, and mentioned in for classic Mormon village studies is uh, in New Mexico. Do you pronounce it Rama? Rama? Rama, yes. Uh-huh. And they, they they have consciously decided not to incorporate over the years. Uh, yes, and, and it, it's really remarkable there. Um, it, it's well governed. Uh, Thomas O'Day, uh, more famous for his book, The Mormons, which is... Uh, accepted, I think, by many as the best study of uh, Mormonism by a non-Mormon in the 20th century. Anyway, Thomas O'Day uh, lived there for five months and, and, and did a remarkable job. He was part of the uh, Harvard Value Study. And uh, he commented on how, how uh, efficient and uh, uh, well organized the community was how we reacted to uh, problems uh, everything from getting the road paved to to uh, finding employment for returning veterans uh, and uh, did it by um, largely the uh, the church organization hmm. and and uh, you know they chose not to develop uh, the kind of uh, secular organization that uh, characterizes a virgin they they had concerns, I think, if if they were to incorporate, there were some fears there. Well, uh, if something's working, uh, you know, uh, I think the sense was why 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 uh, try to change it? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, O'Day, you know, he he was an outsider. He was part of a, a sort of academic invasion that characterized Rama for uh, 
more than a decade as uh, Harvard uh, ran its values study uh, project there. Uh, you know, in summer times there might be 10 or 15 uh, anthropologists, sociologists uh, working in, in, in the town. Um, uh, and O'Day was, was, was impressed that, that, that it worked, that they got things done. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the village did, uh, over the years, since 1950, uh, learn to uh, get grants, learn to, uh, to negotiate with uh, governments and, and to improve, uh, learn to... Uh, it was very late compared to some Utah communities getting electricity, for example. Mm-hmm. But... but um, the church continues to be the the primary um, uh, way to get things done in Virgin itself. Hmm. Uh, how is that viewed? I don't know if you talk to non-Mormons. How is that viewed? If the church is the main vehicle, and that's the cohesive force, then uh, you know I can see how you'd feel very much an outsider, feel frustrated about uh, where's my voice. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing in in uh, Rama is that the, uh, the, the very small village that O'Day studied is pretty much still the very small village, um, and the, uh, most of the outsiders live in the surrounding areas. They've become part of a larger community. Um, and, uh, you know, Rama has joined the world also much more. Uh, it has secularized to some degree in the very recent years. Um, but uh, the village itself, the, the village that, that O'Day studied, uh, still remains pretty much uh, as it was in terms of, uh, uh, let me say that another way. Uh, development has been along the edges. Development has been among the Rayman Navajo nearby. Neve- development has been in some nearby uh, residential uh, development outside of uh, uh, to some degree, distinct from Rama itself. Hmm. I think it was Rama. There's a point of pride um, in the fact that with without a governmental structure, they put up a high school. Yes, yeah, that's a remarkable story. Uh, uh, it has been replaced recently, uh, but uh, in the fifties. Their school was inadequate, and the community um, built the school. Uh, it ends up, uh, it ended up not uh, not meeting some of the uh, requirements of schools in the 90s, and and and, uh, and, and so was replaced. But but uh, you know they built it, and um, it was a donated labor. I have photographs in the book of. Uh, some of the people keeping track of the donated labor for the school. It, it's really a, a, a remarkable story. Uh, no, um, uh, you, <laughs> I don't know if it was built to a, a code. I don't know if there was a code. They, and, and it wasn't pretty, but, but there was, it's a point of pride in the village. They, they put yes, it up. Yes, very, very much a point of pride. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, uh, I went to that uh, unimpeachable source, Wikipedia, uh, Steve, and got an answer. I think this might be the answer to your question about how Gunlock got its name. Uh, this, according to Wikipedia, is according to a plaque posted in the town of Gunlock. Uh, the town is named after William Haynes, nicknamed Gunlock Hamlin, brother to Jacob Hamlin, 
came from Salem, Ohio. Uh, the, na- the town was named after him. He was father of 17 children, given the nickname Gunlock by Mormon Apostle George A. Smith, for whom he drove wagon across the plains. He worked for him as a gunsmith. Gunlock, Utah, named in his honor. So that uh, perhaps is the answer to your question, how Gunlock got its, got its name. We do have several questions uh, for our guest, who is Howard Barr, sociology professor at Brigham Young University. He's uh, author of very interesting books, Saints Observed, Studies of Mormon Village Life, and editor of four classic Mormon Village Studies, these two books out now from University of Utah Press. Uh, here is a uh, question from David. He says, how about Mormon patriarch Cliven Bundy? He's ripping this from the headlines. Uh, Would he fit the classic model of Mormon villager, or is he more of an outlaw? (laughs) Uh, I don't know that he fits the classic model of a Mormon villager at all. I mean, he he has this huge spread, and and, uh, and he's a Mormon rancher, perhaps, but but, but, uh, the Mormon villagers... uh, uh, (laughs) I'll just have to say... Uh, the classic Mormon villager leaves his village each day, goes out to his his, his farm, uh, also uh, rears uh, has has cattle and and sheep, perhaps a few, but but uh, the big rancher tends to live on his ranch. The Mormon villager lives in town. You you remarked at the beginning of the of the program uh, that the Mormon village was different in in its uh, in in its design. And uh, the characteristic that, that uh, so impressed visitors uh, and that facilitated the, the Mormon village as a, a sort of a, a place where Mormons were reared and then eventually sent out into the world because it couldn't support them is this uh, collection of places that, in walking distance, you know, uh, where everyone lives. And... and uh, you know, they go out to the fields, and, and then they return home in the evening, and they have opportunity for schooling and church activities. The, uh, the community life is, is not uh, unavailable to them, as it was, for example, in the North Dakota area where I grew up, where, you know, all the farmers lived on their farms. And, and, and they were, uh, many of them, unable to participate in much of the town life because they were so far out. Hmm. This um, centering uh, of the community, it can be a great strength, of course. The fact that it was centered around church, and then you bring that forward to today, um, I I think that ties into complaints some outsiders have, and talking about religious outsiders uh, as well as physical outsiders, that you go to a Mormon community and... um, Life is so insular among the ward or, or or whatever that you you have a hard time getting in among your neighbors. Well, you you get uh, complaints. Uh, I I I suspect, uh, and at the same time, uh, you get the other side too. People feeling that 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 they're not excluded. Uh, one one of the characteristics of uh, the Mormon village was that uh, people felt welcome. Hmm. Uh, you know that they would. Uh, we mentioned Virgin. Um, these outsiders were not excluded. Uh, what they liked about the community and why they why they they came there and why they have continued to come is is, is because uh, the ambience has not been uh, an exclusionary one. Now I I know about the uh, the comments the other way and and there is validity to them as well. Uh, 
but uh, the Mormon village, the ones that, that I studied, uh, do not, have not uh, been seen as rejecting all outsiders. Uh, uh, perhaps a, a, a better example, uh, historically, I, I want to jump to history here for just a little bit. De- definitely. Is uh, the uh, view of the outsiders who came and studied those uh, Mormon villages of the 19th century? They were much more insular, much, much more, uh, uh, as it were, armed camps against the outside. And, and um, yet, you get a description by these uh, by these outsiders uh, of a of a of a warm and supportive atmosphere. So it depends on if you are perceived as a threat or not. Uh, in in uh, the Saints Reserve book, you have uh, Remy and and Brenchley coming into Salt Lake, and because they're seen as possible assassins, <laughs> they certainly are excluded. And and then once once uh, it is uh, once they're recognized as uh, somebody coming in to to get to know the Saints, they're welcomed. Hmm. In fact, uh, the. Uh, <laughs> Many of the Salt Lakers uh, start uh, circulating rumors about these people have come to to, to join the church. <laughs> so uh, it's like the uh, old timer newcomer. Uh, you can't characterize it uh, just one way. The ambience uh, is often supportive, depending on how you are perceived. We're talking with Howard Barr, who's a sociology professor at Brigham Young University. He's author of Saints Observed, Studies of Mormon Village Life. He's editor of Four Classic Mormon Village Studies. These two books are out now from University of Utah Press. We're going to take another break. When we come back, another 10 minutes in the program, love to get your perspective. Uh, are you a longtime resident of one of these classic Mormon villages? And that includes most areas in Utah and surrounding states. Uh, are you a recent arrival? Uh, do you, what's, your, what's your observation from the inside or the outside? Uh, what's your history uh, here? We'd love to get your perspective. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. When we come back, I've thought of another parallel uh, to David's point about Cliven Bundy. And uh, so, though he may be loath to, I'll ask Professor Barr to to, to go there again, uh, based on the perspective I've got. I will do that following break. Beginning in May, tune into Utah Public Radio during Morning Edition for Hidden Kitchens, a series on the food, folklore, and culture that creates community around the world, from Sicilian farms to the Australian outback. From the Kitchen Sisters production team, Tuesday mornings in May on Utah Public Radio. Waste not. Help keep your drinking water safe. Eliminate or protect cross-connections between your water system and a contamination. And have your backflow preventers tested annually. Waste Not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. 
In his book, Saints Observe, Studies of Mormon Village Life, BYU sociology professor Howard Barr says the Mormon village was originally conceived as a place removed from the rest of, rest of the world, a place where the saints could live and raise their children while building a strong faith-based identity. Although common in Europe, the pattern that Mormons used of residential villages with outlying far- farms was unusual in the American West. Many people came through uh, to observe. Some accepted, some not. Their uh, observations are recounted in his book, Saints Observed, and formed the, the first basis for uh, sociological, sociological studies of, uh, of Mormon life. And then they became more formalized as it went along. Another book is Four Classic Mormon uh, Village Studies, and uh, the editor is Howard Barr. These two books are out from University of Utah Press. We'd love to get your history, perhaps, and your observation of, uh, say, the history of Mormon villages, or maybe you live in one today, Salt Lake City, the original Mormon village. Uh, And I'd love to get your observation right now. The number is 1-800-826-1495. The email is upraxis at gmail.com. By the way, I did get an email from Brian in response to Steve's question, and he uh, cites the uh, Wikipedia entry that that I read. So thank you very much for that, uh, Brian. I went to Wikipedia before I saw your email. So uh, thank you for, for responding. Uh, Professor Barr, uh, just before we get into some of the the more of the history, um, to David's question, he talks about uh, Cliven Bundy, and would he fit the classic model of Mormon villager, or is he more of an outlaw? And you responded to that earlier. I, I thought of another sort of a running theme here. There are some unique aspects to the Cliven Bundy case, and I think uh, some people are reluctant to embrace him as a as a hero. Of course, given some of his statements, etc. But there, there is a long-running theme of uh, wariness uh, toward the federal government, uh, dating back to, to, to Mormon history and some of the reasons why these Mormon villages were established. This was a refuge from the world, right? Oh, yeah, yes, and I would agree with, with the wariness. In fact, the wariness uh, is uh, uh, sort of embedded in all of the uh, travelers' accounts that, that, that I draw upon. Uh, they, uh, you know, Utah was, uh, you know, first uh, seen as uh, opposition. You know, uh, they need to send the army out there to, to, to shape up these people who are rebelling, and and, and then there's the battle against polygamy, uh, uh, and uh, all of these early travelers. Uh, one of their themes is uh, we came out here to try to tell the truth. You know, we wanted to see what it was really like rather than being carried away by the press accounts, and so, so they all. Um, say that one of the virtues of my particular book is that I saw things clearly and I can tell you how it really is. And, and, and um, uh, the, uh, the, the wariness, uh, the outright hostility between the government and, and the, the Latter-day Saints is, is uh, embedded in, in uh, all of these works. And in fact, uh, several of them are not very sanguine about the future of the Mormons. Uh, the uh, 1880s observers that I uh, uh, discussed, that I uh, quote from, uh, are uh, afraid that the government is going to end up uh, coming in and the Mormons are going to flee again. Mm. They're going to have to be pushed out to somewhere else. Uh, it, 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 it's quite poignant, their, uh, uh, their fears about what will happen to the people that they've lived among. We uh, received this email. This is uh, plugging an event which relates to our conversation. Uh, Deborah. Uh, who is with St. George Art Museum, says that there's an event. Doug Alder, UPR supporter, will be speaking on three Mormon towns, Gunlock, Tokerville, and St. George, on Thursday at 7 p.m. 
that's, of course, the photo project, Dorothea Lang and Ansel Adams, that we uh, mentioned earlier right. in this conversation. So right. thanks for that, Deborah. And uh, consider your event plugged there. Hope people will show up there. That's, well, I would uh, recommend, by the way, you know, that uh, I presume they'll have copies of the photographs. Those are wonderful photographs. Yes. Uh, I would I would presume that they, they would as well. Yeah, those are beautiful photographs. Uh, it's a very interesting study that, uh, that was that was done. So that's uh, Thursday, 7 p.m., and that is at the St. George <clears throat> Art Museum. Doug Alder be giving that uh, that address. Uh, I want to to address what you said just before we we did that, uh, Howard Barr. Um, you talked about how uh, some observers were not sanguine about uh, the future of uh, of these Mormon villages. I believe uh, it was Edward Banfield, maybe it was him looking at Gunlock. Uh, predicted that um, Gunlock, with improved transportation and the like, would likely be just a, a kind of sort of assimilated into into modern life, and and that hasn't hasn't happened well, as much yeah, as he you may be to. you may be referring uh, to Rema. Um, oh, could be. Uh, uh, the thesis, uh, the dissertation um, that that O'Day wrote, uh, concludes, you know, with uh, some comments on the future. And uh, you mentioned earlier uh, Escalante and, and, and the uh, Mormon village studies of the 1920s, which began the, the genre, if you like, uh, uh, Flowery Nelson. Uh, his basic theme uh, was that uh, these villages would uh, become more secular. In fact, the, the process of secularization is the theoretical model that, uh, that Nelson builds his 1952 book around. Uh, O'Day predicts that uh, Rama is likely to be absorbed and it'll just become another ranching community unless it keeps its spiritual roots strong. And, and in his book, The Mormons, which, which is much more widely known, uh, he predicts that, that Mormonism as a, as a faith will gradually uh, decline because uh, it will not be able to withstand modernistic education, that secular education uh, the, the, the LDS uh, emphasis on education for its young people will, in the end, uh, destroy traditional Mormonism because modernism will be the acid that eats away these, uh, these traditional beliefs. So, um, so, I, it, so I think uh, that was probably at least more emphasized in the uh, discussion of Rama. But c could I return just one minute to, uh, to your just... comment earlier about the uh, hostility yeah, or, yes. or at least the stress between and Mormons and non-Mormons in these villages? Definitely. Let me just uh, alert you. We just have about a minute left. So Okay, okay. well, um, among the people uh, who are the contributors, as it were, to this, uh, historical contributors, is a man named Chandless who lived in Salt Lake. He was not a Mormon. He came west as a drover uh, with cattle. And... Um, he describes leaving after having been in a, rented a Mormon uh, home, uh, lived in a family for uh, three months. And he says, I had been a visitor and met with hospitality at other homes in America, but it was as a visitor. During a somewhat lengthened absence from England, this was the one house in which I lived as uh, in a home, became one of the family intimate with the eldest, the playmate of the youngest, a friend, I hope, of all, for all were friendly to me. All seemed sorry I was leaving them, and I am not ashamed to say I, too, 
felt sorry. And this, this, this is someone um, opposed to polygamy who has lived in a polygamous house in Salt Lake. And, and uh, he's one of the best observers that I draw from because he actually lived in a Mormon family for a time. Hmm. Interesting, and, and, yeah. And you get, you get that same sort of uh, uh, response from these people who, who, uh, who didn't sort of just pass through but who came and tried to stay and, and, and understand. We'll have to leave it there out of time. Uh, much more we could uh, talk about. You'll have to read the books. Uh, Howard Barr is BYU sociology professor. He's author of Saints Observed, Studies of Mormon Village Life. He's edited four classic Mormon village studies. Those two books are out from University of Utah Press. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's, it's been a pleasure. We get this final email from Deborah, who's with St. George Art Museum. He's, she says, we do have photographs on view by Dorothea Lang. It's the final opportunity to see this exhibit on three Mormon towns. Thursday, May 15th, the, the exhibit closes 9 p.m. that evening. 7 o'clock, Doug Alder's giving a lecture there, so plug that again. Uh, storyteller, uh, musician Todd Snyder is with us tomorrow. His book is I Never Met a Story I Didn't Like, Mostly True Tall Tales. That's tomorrow on the program. Thanks for listening today. Hello, this is Terry Guy, Business Development Manager at Utah Public Radio. Together, contributing members and program sponsors make public radio possible. If your business would like to be recognized on air for supporting UPR, please call 435-797-3215. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Bridgerland Audubon Society, USU Extension, and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University. Immortalized on the sets of old Western movies, the tumbleweed has long been a classic symbol of the rugged, wide-open landscapes of the American West. As a result, we can all easily recognize the spherical skeletons when we come across them caught on underbrush or piled up on fence lines here in Utah. But this archetype is not an accurate representation of typical western United States or Utah flora, because tumbleweed, or Russian thistle, is an invasive weed. The story begins in the late 19th century, when South Dakotan farmers reported seeing an unknown plant growing in their croplands. Years later, it was identified as Russian thistle, scientific name Salsola tragus, a native plant of Russia and the Eurasian steppes east of the Ural Mountains. It had been accidentally brought to the United States in a shipment of flaxseed. By the time the U.S. Department of Agriculture published its inquiry into the plant in 1894, about 20 years after the plant's introduction, 35,000 square miles of land had become more or less covered in Russian thistle. Since that time, the plant has spread into every state except Florida and Alaska. So what is the problem? Russian thistle, despite the nostalgic connotations of the Old West it inspires, is a pest. It easily takes root in disturbed or bare ground, moving in before native species are able to establish. Drought conditions, like those we have had in recent years, only promote the plant's proliferation. The dryness hinders the growth of crops and native species, while the salsola seed requires very little moisture in order to germinate, growing in where the crops and native species otherwise would have. This can have deleterious effects on cropland and natural ecological functioning, not to mention the wildfire risk the dry plant debris poses. Their sheer numbers have also turned into more than just a nuisance. Each plant may bear some 250,000 seeds that can be spread across miles as they drop off the rolling tumbleweed. Consequently, we see images like those from Colorado earlier this year, depicting piles of tumbleweeds filling streets, covering cars, and climbing the walls of houses.
In one instance, a windstorm clogged a town in New Mexico with 435 tons of the weed. Utahns have yet to experience the full effects of this plant's troublesome nature, but this does not mean we are immune. Russian thistle has been reported in every county of the state. Luckily for those fighting this plant's advance, technology and research are on our side. Several biological control options, from insects to fungal pathogens, are being tested as methods of natural salsola population suppression, with encouraging results. But all in all, the management principles have not changed much since 1894. Prevent the production and dispersal of seed across all infested areas. For Wild About Utah, I'm Anna Bankson. Wild About Utah, a partnership of the Bridgerland Audubon Society, USU Extension, and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on UPR is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Thank you for listening to Access Utah Today. Stay tuned for the TED Radio Hour coming up next, followed by a performance today. It is now 10 o'clock.